0: We don't have any respect for the thinking mind, for what it actually is. And that's a strange thing. We do have respect in a kind of a way for the thinking mind, because we might think, oh, the thinking mind is really great or it's, um, does all these things, it's a really cool thing, which is a funny situation in itself, because then we're thinking that the thinking mind is great. So what is that? obviously not worth as much as it might first seem to be. But that isn't respect. Respect necessarily means um, that we're relating to the actual nature of things. We can't respect something if we're fantasizing about what it is that we're respecting. So the actual nature of the thinking mind is that it is the supreme predator? There's all sorts of predators that we regard highly and put on a pedestal. There's the great white shark, that's a pretty supreme predator. Or perhaps an even bigger shark, the what do you call it, the prehistoric sharks. Megalodon and all of those they're pretty supreme because they're absolutely huge. And then we could say well in human imagination the supreme predator has got to be um, maybe the predator in the science fiction film the predator so maybe that's the supreme predator. So, we could think about all of these things, or maybe alien is the supreme predator, as in alien versus the predator, who's the most supreme predator? You see, they're both pretty cool as predators go, but who's the supreme? And of course, we're fascinated in that. We'd love to know who or what the supreme predator is. But we're looking in all the wrong places because the supreme predator, without (coughs) any doubt at all, there's no contenders. Is the rational mind. We just can't see this because the rational mind's already got us. It's already converted us. So we're like um, slack jaw dummies that have been converted into some religion or other. And so obviously we're in no position to Um, appreciate just what a magnificent predator thought is. Instead of saying that the rational mind or the thinking mind is the supreme predator, we could also use another um, way of talking about it and say that it is um, the giant amoeba, that it's like a giant amoeba. So this this um, giant amoeba that we're talking about here has a very particular, very um, unique form of predation. It's not that it has huge jaws and lots of teeth and any of that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff is um, silly really. I mean it's not silly if you're face to face with it with a predator with huge jaws, but um, really even looking at subtlety it's it's kind of too obvious. So the the great amoeba what it does it's um, modus operandi is to mimic everything that it, it touches. So whatever it touches we could say that it first absorbs it into its own being. So it's not like it's trying to exterminate everything or fight against it, it just comes across something and then it envelops it amoeba fashion. But even then it's not eating it in the sense that it's having a snack on you and leaving nothing behind but bones and um, bloodstained clothes. It's doing something far more sinister than that, which is strange because we think if a predator comes and snacks on us that's pretty sinister, but not really. What the giant amoeba does, is, is that it produces a perfect duplicate of us and then we think we're the duplicate and we don't um, realize that we've been duplicated and we carry on living as the duplicate but the duplicate even though on the surface of things it is um, a facsimile it's so so close you can't see the difference In terms of appearance it's the same thing. Underlying appearance it's all backwards, it's all been converted into the antithesis, it's all serving, it's been turned into the very opposite in terms of um, not the appearance but in terms of the more kind of deep down principle of things, but nobody knows so we've been subverted and converted. the antithetical principle and we have no idea it would probably help to try and come up with a few practical examples to make this um, more understandable and one example that comes to me is something out of the um, sociology of subcultures and so when we go into subcultures a particularly interesting subculture in terms of its relation with relationship with society would be the punk subculture. Now, the interesting thing about punk that has been noted by sociologists or by some sociologists is that It it represents a rejection of societal values, which isn't really um, a hard thing to understand, that's not particularly revolutionary. Punks reject societal standards, they're kind of giving it the finger, like, like that kind of. And We all know that because everything about punk, even though it's a long time ago now, but we still know what punks are. Everything about being a punk is about giving a finger to society. they are geared, they were geared to, outraging society and given that society is ludicrously easy to outrage, particularly back then in the 70s, it didn't take much to outrage society. And um, there was nothing to it, you didn't have to too, do too much and the punks went the whole way, they did the very best they could, which was great. But the key point about this is, is that it wasn't a, an intellectually considered kind of a thing, where it's, oh, I'm going to say that I'm against society. I'm going to um, reject society. Because if we do that, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's a, it's a lifeless thing. It's just a mere posture. God knows there's enough subcultures and enough movements which do try and do that, and God knows we do try and do that a lot, be rebels or whatever. But the point is, <clears throat> the, the. The shock value and and, um, lies in the originality, it lies in the fact that it's a kind of you could say almost instinctive rejection of society without an intellectual processing. It didn't come from an intellectual place. So punk as a movement is only punk when it offends the whole of society meaningless otherwise that's what it it it, it comes down to it's very core you can't you can't change that without um completely um ruining the idea of what it means to be a punk you could be a punk poser but that's not the same thing at all so then what funny thing happened to punk if i can get to the point of this the funny thing happened to punk is that it became fashionable and it, I think this is said to date back to one particular model featured on the, on the front cover of Vogue was a punk model. Everyone saw this punk model and it's like isn't she cool isn't that great I want to be like that so it became super fashionable punk became it. Now we might think that'd be a good thing for a lot of movements that like they've been recognized and everyone wants to you know be part of it but for punk it wasn't of course. So in no time at all Um, There's loads and loads of street markets in Chelsea selling punk gear, the classic punk gear, the bondage gear and all the 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 leathers and the spikes and safety pins and all the kind of stuff. And these um, markets did a roaring trade and punk became huge, became celebrated. So a lot of teenagers still wanted to be punks and became punks of course, more than ever, but the system had actually absorbed the enemy. So the best way to absorb the enemy, and punk was an enemy of the system without any doubt, but instead of making it illegal and putting all punks in prison, which would have made it you can't get rid of something like that really. you you just kind of feed it, make them stronger, what it did is it said yes you're great and it created its own template for what it means to be a punk and everyone from from that point on the punks were punks in appearance but because they were celebrated and accepted by society and the whole meaning of what it meant to be a punk was gone. In terms of of a, a movement obviously the original punks were still punks, they weren't posers, but in terms of a movement it was subverted fantastically. Now, None of this was deliberate, there wasn't a committee of people sitting there planning how to kind of subvert or absorb punk culture. It just happens because that's how society works. Society can absorb anything. It, it, you could probably say that the whole of kind of um, rock music had the same thing happen to it, that when rock music started it was rebellious, genuinely rebellious. and It wasn't celebrated by society, but then boy did society start um, celebrating rock music. And so it ended up before very long that if you were a rock star, rock musician, you're serving the man, you're part of the machine. Like in the Pink Floyd album, welcome to the machine. And so now we've got this huge roaring and um, massive um, popular music thing going on, but it's all the system, it's all the machine. Not all of it, but the vast majority of it has been subverted very cleverly. So, We could go on giving examples of this or at least I could go on giving examples if I could think of any more examples which I can't off the top of my head. But that's the basic idea of it illustrated. And in a more profound sense what happens is that we ourselves as unique or original individuals, Get to be absorbed in the same way, so society or the system says, Isn't it great? Isn't it great to be original? It's an isn't it great to be you? Isn't it great to have your own tastes, your own style, your own whatever? and gets and, and it nullifies us in that way because we go, Yeah, it is. And then society shows us how to be original, it shows us how to be unique, it shows us how to have our own style, how to define ourselves and we go yes that's me I want to define myself like that, which is what we all do. It's not just a couple of Egypts every now and again who fall for that, we all fall for it. We've all accepted society's definitions of who we are, what we're about, what we want etc. We've all, every last one of us, been absorbed by the system and this absolutely No way that we can know that because we don't want to know it is one one reason because the whole point is that we want to have this illusion that we are unique and us truly ourselves and we're expressing our own uh true inherent nature rather than coming out with crap that's been programmed into us no one wants to know that but also Our way of thinking is doesn't come with a a way of seeing that we are not originals anymore. The system doesn't provide us with the capacity to question it. It's turned us into slack-jawed dummies. It's converted us to the cult. and So all we can think about is how we can be um, good girls or good boys within the context of the cult. And if we see anyone who isn't trying as we are to be good girls and good boys within the context of the cult we mean to them we really really mean to them we attack them because they're not like us but we're not like us either because there is no us we've been subsumed we've been duplicated by the great duplicator So it's it's easy to see that when there is a predator like this it is supreme because no one fights against it. Even if we try to fight against it, which is a natural human instinct. And I think there's a thing in the original Matrix film that explores this theme a little bit. It's necessary for us to rebel and fight against the system. It's necessary we have to do that if we don't do that <coughs> if we see ourselves as being conformist if we can't have this release of seeing ourselves fighting against the system and somehow redeeming ourselves then there's no meaning to our lives so the system doesn't stop us rebelling it doesn't crush us like some stupid um, dumb m um, totalitarian state which just tries to crush everyone What it does is says, yeah, I can dig that, you're a rebel. This is what rebels do, you like this, aren't you? You do this, you do that, you wear this set of clothing, you have this particular, this is, this is you as a rebel and it provides us with a rebel identity and we love it and we think we're a rebel. But that isn't a real rebel, that is um, the simulation or, or duplication of what a rebel is that's actually working for the system. So. Even our attempts to fight against the system are provided for us and validated by the system. So the system is everything. It's a, it's, a, it's a total thing. Our attempts to reject the system are the system. Our attempts to exit the game, I'm fed up with this game, I want to exit it, are the game. Because then there's the game of exiting the game. And that goes on forever, so I suppose. You're playing the game that you've exited the game because you're fed up with the game and it's a stupid game so i'm not playing your game i've exited it so then we're in the um the game of having rejected the game and we could get fed up with that and we could reject that game then we'd be in the game of rejecting the game of rejecting the game and that goes on forever and there's no escape the amoeba allows us escapes they are phony escapes they are fake escapes escapes that it itself has provided us with you want to escape here here's an escape so the, the more we try to escape the more trapped we become the more we try to define ourselves as somebody who isn't um totally conform conforming the more conforming we are so this is just to show or to try and kind of illustrate how the, how the amoeba is the ultimate predator, the really, really ultimate predator. We can go, it can facilitate anything. We want to be um, kind of turned on alternative heba, we kind of want to be kind of right on in that way. The amoeba will facilitate that want to be rebels we want to be whatever the hell it is we want to be anything we can have an idea about the um, system will facilitate that and we never notice a difference and it's all seamless. And this also applies to therapy, therapy we have an idea of how we could be less unwell or less, there could be less, we could be less um, mentally distressed. So we think about what we can do to be not to be so mentally distressed, but what <clears throat> we have an idea of what we're going to do and we have the methodology. But what that means is that we escape from one simulation of thought to another simulation, so that we have the the way I am which is kind of screwed up so I have an idea of what it means to be not screwed up so I try to escape into that but that's also a simulation, that's also a construct of the thinking mind and as a, as such it is fundamentally mentally unhealthy. <clears throat> we could say well why is it fundamentally mentally unhealthy? And the answer is very very simple, the, uh, the reason it's so mentally unhealthy is because we're not living our own live, lives, we're living the um, duplicate lives, the copy lives, the false lives, the fake lives that the system has provided us with. And the whole time we're not, we're serving them, um, the wrong master, as Philip K. Dick puts it. Every, in everything we do, we're serving the system. And the system is completely, implacably opposed to who, who we really are, the non-duplicate, because that's the whole point of the big amoeba, it's incredibly aggressive towards anything that isn't it, that is the great amoeba in a nutshell. It's not aggressive to what is it, it's aggressive to what isn't it, and we aren't it. So it makes us into it and then it's not aggressive to us, then we can live in this world where everything seems to be cozy and we think the system's friendly towards us. It's only friendly in a, in a kind of a way to its own simulation of us. <clears throat> so never it's never nice to us, but it could be it could be nice to us when it subsumed us, but then that isn't us, so but I'm kind of lose, losing the gist that the basic Fundamental thing that we keep coming back to is to live life <clears throat> as who we're not, as who the system says we are, which is antithetical to who we really are. That is the essence of bad mental health. It's got to be. There simply could not be anything less healthier than that. Okay, thanks for watching.